we're jumping ahead, of course, to when Pete decides he's going to L.A. I'm just chewing. But so I can't, I can't respond. But she has. <laughs> I cannot answer you. I cannot talk. term coined in the late 1950s to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. They coined it. Oh my goodness. She fell off a ship. What? Welcome to They Coined It. I'm Roberta Lip. And I'm Dan Jasper. And we cover Mad Men episode by episode. It's the season finale. Finale, baby. We did it. We got to hear. And holy, it's a good one. Hey, Lou Avery, when when did we see? What, what I can't re, I can't place him in the series. I'll tell you, you don't know this, but I know this. Uh, he, That's why um, I'm asking you. I knew you would know this. He was one of the one of the executives going up to Detroit to pitch the Chevy account. Right. It's all it's all up here, Roberta. It's all up here. It's like a big filing cabinet. No, I I know you know like. Those guys, like you keep track of the like the white guys in suits that come in and That's out, right. like the competition. Not just on this show, <laughs> in life. Yeah. <laughs> the competition and the clients, and I, I never have a, as much of a grasp on them. Yeah, he was the one giving giving Roger shit yeah. when they were waiting and blah, blah, blah. I also feel like, and this is, I, am, I have nothing to back this up, but I feel like it's a name we had heard before. You know, you they do, they do that sometimes. They'll seed a fake. Yeah. I mean, right? Didn't we hear of Ted Shaw before we met him? Bert Peterson for t- three seasons. Bert yeah. Peterson for three seasons, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bert, we hardly know. I kind of was thinking he was going to come off that escalator, uh, uh, elevator. I tell you, though, I am starting to feel, or I shouldn't say starting, I feel finally a full season into season six that um, that I know what it's about. You know, we didn't talk about that that much uh, this season, about what's this season about the way we have in other seasons. But it's very, you know, watching it again, and I, I, I keep feeling this strong, more stronger and stronger. I'm less concerned with what happens than how it happens. And the how it happens uh, all through this season, from the Rosens to the conflict between Don and Sally, even the stuff with Pete and Trudy, is so well crafted. There is so much craft to this season that I think is hidden and less evident when you're watching it, say, for the first time, when you go, all right, what happens next? How, how's it, how's it going to end? You know, where are we going to get to? This time, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of just along for the ride and noticing things. This is the longest ellipses ever. What do you think it's about? It's about getting to know Don mm. in a way that we haven't. Hmm. And that's such a sort of amorphous, you know, vague sort of intangible thing that it doesn't, it's not presented as such. But we're getting so deep into who Don is and his, the long-term effects of keeping these secrets, the big secrets and the little secrets, it's revealing who he is. I mean, one of the things that I remembered last season, he had to take the dead hanging body of Lane Price down and he saw his brother Adam everywhere. We've discussed in the past all of Don's guilt. The idea that taking this false personality, this, you know, taking somebody else's identity, it had a lot of effects on a lot of people, but that was the one he couldn't escape. 
So that's where this season starts. And this is the season we see Don beat up on everyone and himself the most. Both of those. And perhaps turning a corner. We don't know. Again, this, the, the series is full of corners that Don has turned. So it, it's not a matter of it being definitive. But you, there's something different about what we're seeing here when he comes out of the drunk tank and, out, you know, yet again. And the, the, the big reveal at the end, which, of course, we'll get to. There's a different sense of um, putting stuff behind in terms of him being truthful. And just, you know, just because the truth will set you free does not mean it doesn't have consequences. And I, that's a big part of this episode. I think the culmination of a season getting to the point where the truth can be told and, and its consequences. I do think Don has turned a corner and, and, you know, sometimes he turns back. We know that part of what didn't work about this season is, was simply Don being so terrible it was hard it was hard to stand being around him as is evidenced by everybody else's reaction on the show right all the characters yeah. show but from the from the viewer's perspective not easy to be with him not easy certainly not easy to root for him again does it last does it hold uh, we we've talked about this how many times well there's a season 7 for that right enlightenment whatever glimpse of it doesn't you got to work on it you got to work to maintain it it doesn't just pull you along but certainly we see something different in the end but before that it's it's very much about everything blowing up families blowing up agencies blowing up he's now destroyed how many families Pete's family every every, everything is wrecked there's wreckage everywhere and then it's about redemption a a lot of pushing and jumping where where you push or did you jump and there's, there's, we see a lot of that in this episode. Redemption also is, is everybody's seeking it. Everybody's seeking it in California. <laughs> it's hovering over everything, yeah. right? Yeah, that, the promise of redemption for sure. And most people having it in California. <laughs> no, I'm going. No, I'm going. I'm redeemed. No, I'm redeemed. Yeah. <laughs> I need to escape more. <laughs> yeah. In Care Of was written by Carly Ray and Matthew Weiner, directed by Matthew Weiner. Original air date was June twenty third, twenty thirteen. Several days takes place several days in November, ending November twenty eighth, Thanksgiving, nineteen sixty eight. Just like season one, ending in Thanksgiving. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a a couple at least that I caught of direct homages to to the pilot. Actually, yeah, yeah, I agree. In this one, Sally's misbehaving after her incident with Don, which worsens Don's drinking. Ted and Peggy sleep together after he tells her he's leaving his wife. Man. Sunkiss business will require an L.A. presence for the firm, which Don originally jumps on, then allows Ted to take, because Ted decides he's trying to save his marriage and needs to be away from Peggy, whom he just slept with. Manolo appears to have killed Dorothy Campbell. Talk about push or jump. (laughs) <laughs> While on a cruise by throwing her overboard, Don, shall we say, melts down at a Hershey's pitch, resulting in his being suspended from the firm. Oof. Mm. That was a big one. Six-month leave, baby. So we we learn via literal and figurative wake-up call from Betty to Don that Sally's in trouble. She's been getting drunk at school, sneaking in alcohol, getting other girls drunk. Sounds like a Girl, you want to hang out with at prep school, but that aside. Totally. It is, in fact, what I know about prep school. Also, (laughs) 
Before that, we've learned that she's supposed to make a statement of some kind to the for the burglary, and she really does right. not want to do that. Basically, the, the long story short here is, you know, they have this conflict over Sylvia Rosen incident. It's unresolved. Don laid that bullshit line on her, which she knows was bullshit. She's basically not talking to him. She's avoiding him at every... We saw it a little last episode. She left town, <laughs> is what she did. It's avoidance in my book, yeah. And now she's just outright hostile to him. You know, why don't you tell them what I saw? All that stuff. Right. So Don takes this very, very much to heart. And of course, he can't, like, tell Megan. <laughs> right. Once again, he can't tell Megan. He can't tell Betty. He can't tell anybody. Can't take Arnie out for a drink and cry on his shoulder. Oh, these are kids, huh? <laughs> so, yeah. So this puts Don, you know, once again over the edge. And it's another day lost to drinking, right? He misses the Royal Hawaiian people coming in. He's in the drunk tank, blacks out again. I'm not going to list all the episodes like I did last time, but here's another blackout episode for Dear Don. And as we said, he kind of, you know, I won't call it a moment of clarity. It's probably not that type of thing. But he is, you know, for the moment, uh, realizing that uh, shit's got to change. Megan comes into the kitchen the morning after Don didn't come home. Don is pouring out all his bottles. Um, <laughs> like like Gene was when he was hallucinating when he th- during Prohibition. Yeah. <laughs> Megan is is wearing this white angelic night gowny thing and no makeup. I'll, I mean, a there she is, his saving angel, and B. Oh sure. That's what Betty was wearing when Betty confronted him. Yeah. All those years ago. Nice to remember. What I found fascinating, and, and you're sort of teasing it, is it is both the best and the worst moment where he's like, he's got both the best and the worst ideas, which is this isn't working. I'm a mess. Something has to change. I have a great idea. Let's run away. Everything will be better over there. Well, that comes, right? That comes with the, the news from Sunkiss. Right. But that is what he that is what he proposes to her. I mean, he he's and 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 you can see from the second he says it in her face, from the second he says it, she's like, great idea. She's she's all in and she's trying to act cool and trying to not be excited. And then eventually she bursts into tears like this is the best thing. Yet. Like she's saying yes to the marriage proposal all over again. We said there were a lot of callbacks to season one, and this one, to me, felt a lot like running to Rachel's office to say, let's run away. Where? Eden. I don't know, he says. It's it's a huge parallel. Right down to, what about your kids? Yeah. <laughs> and again, he hadn't thought that much about that answer and is, you know, kind of like wings it, you know. That's also because he's not saying his kids is part of what he's running away from. Yeah, truly, truly everything. You know, he doesn't have to deal with it till, you know, the answer, his answer, by the way, is you don't think they'll be happy to trade every other weekend or weekends or whatever he said for a summer in LA. By then everything will be fine. But right now he's running away from Sally. It's the ultimate Don answer, you know, Um, you know, bullshit that sounds really good. But yeah, the, the answer he, he, if the thought, if the sodium pentothal were in his veins, he'd say who? 
<laughs> he's just not thinking about it at all. He wants to, he's just running away to get away. And yeah, LA is that, is that Eden right now? Absolutely not. We have candy at the theater. Oh, no, Peggy. Hello. Good night. Come on, boys, let's go. You know, we get this whole cat and mouse, you could say, with with Peggy and and Ted. Meh. Yeah, see? <laughs> we, we get, uh, well, we get her all dolled up for, like, some date. Nan and the kids come to the office. And as Ted and Nan walk past Peggy, and Nan says, hi, Peggy, and just keeps going, doesn't even look at her. And remember, Nan knows who Peggy is, not just by name, but by your pretty copywriter. I was looking and I didn't t- I didn't pick up, you know, what you would think would be sort of the passive aggressive move by the wife, no. which would be like, hi, Peggy, you know, anything like it was a nope. inappropriate, nope. unironic exchange. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Yeah, you're, you're right that she knows who Peggy is. She knows who Peggy is and she's not giving it any air at all. Truly. She just walked yeah. by. It's Ted who gives yeah. Peggy a look over his shoulder like, oh, that must have been terrible. Right, right. Then Peggy pulls this stunt. And by the way, I've done it. I haven't done it to bosses I want to fuck necessarily, but I have definitely stuck my head in a conference room looking better than you've ever seen me just to prove sometimes I can look like this. You've done it a few times right on this podcast, exactly, Roberta. Exactly, with my big bow. Sunday morning <laughs> recordings. <right. laughs> There's stockings that I can't see. I know. It's just my head and headphones. Um. <laughs> no, no, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a whole, there's a whole thing going on with that. Yeah, and honestly, it was so much of a stunt, I wasn't convinced she even had a real date. Like, she could have totally dressed up that way and and pretended she had a date, just like she did after the movies, by the way. I know. Right? I when know, they were at the I movies know. and they run into Don and Megan and she's like, gotta go. I have plans. Got a date. Ted could have been waiting for her at her door exactly. and she's in her apartment the entire time. <laughs> That's right. That's right. totally true. She's taking the trash out. Oh, Ted, what are you doing here? She's in a, like a, you know, sweats. But that outfit, can we just, it's, we talked about the big bows, the big Peggy is the gift before. And this was, we've never seen her looking so sexy. Yeah. Yeah. She's still awkward with it. She's not like Megan sexy, like fashion wise. She doesn't quite have it all together, but she's closer than she's ever been. And a shorter skirt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With the the makeup and and everything. everything. So let's say she did have a date because she is coming in late. Oh, she definitely did because she came in late and she was like, fine, it was terrible. He's he's in finance. He ate with his hands. <laughs> Ted's doing the Pete Stalker move. Oh, I didn't even parallel that to the right? pilot. Wow, I did not. Definitely. This is why there's two of us, folks. And 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 goes into the apartment and soon enough, bam. He's leaving his wife and she's like, I'm not that girl. And you're like, oh, God, she's totally that girl. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, you're about to be. Yeah. And they have a nice, a nice tryst. Well, the post-coital, I can never say the word, coital. It's pronounced refractory. Scene, but I spelled it wrong. Scene between them. That's not to the pilot, but she marked her man. He's oh, yeah. covered with lip, with her lipstick. Which he presumably washes off before heading home to Nan. 
that scene between them, that refractory period, mm-hmm. spelled post-coital, when they are making their plans and and he they are fully in love and they have both all the confidence of right. of that moment we've seen peggy here before this is peggy peggy shows up at work the next day with the same confidence that she had when she was dancing for pete mhm dancing up to Pete like I know you want me I know this isn't going away and Pete rejects her and and it's just it was just so I just found this emotionally so palpable and believable and yeah yeah familiar in in the depths of my memory of that moment where you just know you know everything's fine everything's great I don't even have to worry and then what happened happens it, it was nice to see the lack of awkwardness after right he, he didn't get right up and i gotta go and you know all that he was ready he was ready to stay the night really and then he makes her promises many promises and he means them he does he does mean them but that's not really the best time to be making promises in general whether you think you mean them or not whether the other person thinks you mean them or not it, you know and it proves to be it proves to be disastrous for for peggy in particular and it's, you know, Ted's just gotten himself into, I, I look at Ted and I see he's not trying to fuck with anybody. He's not trying to, to, to play with Peggy's head or fuck around. He, he's genuinely conflicted. He's trying to do what, you know, best for himself. Obviously, we, we're all entitled to that. But um, he's conflicted with his marriage and his family. And look, that shit can change in a heartbeat, which is exactly what happened. Yep. And Peggy is the one who gets crushed under that wheel. Yep. And the story, you know, taken from Pe- from from Ted's side, that's kind of it. That that's it in a nutshell. It's a pretty simple story. From Peggy's side, it's just one in another in a long series, especially this season, of her getting batted around, of her not knowing where she's working, who she's working for. How it goes, I've you know the best laid plans, or where she lives. She keeps getting dragged around by men, and that's why the line at the end, the line that you know when he finally comes to his senses, of course, when he tells her he's going to California to save his marriage because he can't be around her, and it's because I love you so deeply. I agree with you. I think he's completely sincere, and part of it is is she. She what's what she liked about him. He is a good guy. He's a good guy who who got all fucked up about about Peggy. But when she the line is, well, aren't you lucky to have decisions? And it's two sentences. The way she delivers it. Well, aren't you lucky to have decisions? And we look back at like like you said from the end of last season when she had to go write that memo and like you know, that was where I was like or no, it wasn't. Was it this season? Was that all this season? It was yeah, all this season? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, for immediate release. Yeah, remember I said at the time it felt like a season ending, that a season ending moment, and it confused my brain, as is easily done. But she was handed a boss she she didn't want. She had gone to great lengths to <laughs> get away from. She was dragged to a, a building that she didn't want to live in, and she's fucking had it. And she's both done the right things all along the way. She was a good girlfriend to Abe. She 
did the right things at work. Some things turn out disastrously, as this has. And yet, she's also running the New York office for a well-respected mid-size <laughs> ad agency in, in the late 60s. Her final scene is her going into Don's, going into that corner office. And, you know, listen, it's Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs> she's probably not going to stay there. But there she is in this, you know, Mary Tyler Moore suit, this polyester suit looking like the future. And Peggy never looks like the future. But this is her future. You know, she's it's a mixed bag, right? I mean, it's easy to see all of the disasters and there are many. But let's not forget, she's not exactly getting, shall we say, thrown overboard uh, (laughs) in any in any of these circumstances. She's uh, she's a survivor. So. You know, I think it's a it's a really neat, semi-ambiguous wrap on Peggy's season. Really well done. And that's part of the craft that I'm alluding to. We don't see these things as they're happening. They're all just little data points. But then you see this big one here with Sleeping with Ted, and it suddenly all comes into focus. I want to wedge something in right here. And actually, I just thought of it two different ways because you said we don't see what it was. What, what phrase did you just say? You don't see. We don't see it along the way. Right. But also, one of the things about this episode that doesn't work is there's a lot off screen. Certainly when we get to the Manolo Bob stuff, so much of that exposition is happening off screen. It's disorienting. But something else we've talked about is that Matthew Weiner has a tendency in his efforts to make a show where there's so little explained and so little exposition and so much subtlety where he misses the mark on what people know. And we know it by the millions of interviews he gave over those years where he says, yeah, well, this was supposed to be that. And you're like, what? What was the instance here that you're referring to? So the instance here is it is the end of the season. And Matthew Weiner said that we are supposed to know that Joan landed Avon. And we <laughs> never, right? It's ridiculous. Never heard again. Let's let's hope they call back was the last word we heard. We don't know how that turned out. And you want to know, and you want Joan to have a more satisfying season ending than just- That's a great point. In relation to, the, to men, which is all we get. I was just listening to our discussion of Avon, and it occurred to me then, boy, are we going to hear- Wait, what happened? Yeah. Yeah, like, did we hear? Are we going to hear? I can't remember. And sure enough, yeah, we do not. Yep. We do not. And that's a good, you know, it's funny. That's what, that's why film studios do a zillion test screenings. <laughs> you know, oh, the audience didn't like that character because, well, something was hanging out there that they didn't think about or hadn't, you know, but that's the bulletproofing process that goes into films that does not go into a, a weekly TV show, a weekly series. Yeah, cannot. So, yeah, exactly. I think he would have gotten that little smudge would have gotten rubbed out. Definitely. And it's just, it's frustrating because Joan, because that's a way more interesting season ending for Joan, yeah. that she was triumphant. And she's got a real future that she never imagined, as opposed to what does happen where she, she kind of creates this chosen family <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. And we'll get to yeah. that when we, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's a great point that we don't, we don't see any conclusion there. But anyway, this is, yeah, that's, that's Peggy's season, uh, season wrap. Let's not forget that that it's not all bad is my is my point. It's easy to see the the heartbreak, but she's she is um stumbling upward so one way or another. Well, more than stumbling. 
Harry's the stumbler. She's working her ass off upward. Yeah, good good point. And getting recognized for being for going upward. And 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 here's a boss who, you know, listen, a, a different guy could have fired her to save his marriage instead yeah. of pro- oh, yeah, right. essentially promoting her. For sure, for sure. I know you're deciding who's going to be on Sunkissed, so I wanted to volunteer. You want to go? You know that's a demotion. You'll be in one room with one account. Thought about that, but rather than just being a satellite office, I was thinking I could turn it into a little agency. Stan dressed for this conversation. Stan <laughs> has a little grease in his hair. Like it's it's ruly. It's ruly rather than unruly. He really is trying to dress for the job he wants. He's serious. He is, and he's got this earnestness that we don't often associate with Stan. Or and ambition that we've never uh, spent enough time with him to ever see. And it makes an impression on Don. It kind of does, even as he's turning him down. Makes the wrong impression. <laughs> so in Stan asking for this opportunity to be the guy in the shop, and Don Don keeps trying to talk him out of it. He doesn't he doesn't hear it as an opportunity. And he's like, You're you're shooting yourself in the foot by even wanting to go there. You're gonna ruin your career. You're gonna be stuck at a desk. What if it doesn't and he, and Stan is the one who has the vision, the yeah. creative vision of uh, you know, I can take one desk and turn it into an agency. Sure. And yeah. that plants the seed with Don. Right. That that hits every note with Don, especially right now. And so when all of these preceding dominoes are falling with Sally and Megan and everything going on, he says, oh, maybe that should be me out there. And we see how pissed Stan was, which was another great scene. But it's not as if Stan was up for it and Don took it away from him. Stan kind of forced this vision on Don that Don hadn't thought of, planted that seed, and then inspired Don. And so Stan was never up for consideration, even though he's... (laughs) It was his vision that kind of brought all this about. Um, I don't. We don't know who might have been up for that spot, if anyone, at this point. The larger point is that now it's it's lit a fire under Don to get the fuck out of Dodge. And it's also it's a little uh, because again, this California position changes hands so many times throughout the episode. But but they kept saying one person, but you were never clear should it be creative or should it be account. And then at the end, it's too. It's two people. Until we hear Pete's going, it's always one creative person. Yeah. Because it's Don or it's Stan or it's Ted. Those are all creatives. So, yeah, that, that's all we know until that last bit. And and who knows? Pete might have said, guys, get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> I bet you need an account person to grow that desk into something. Right. And as a partner, maybe he can just, not unilaterally, but has a lot more pull than anybody else would. And maybe they, they, they re- I mean, again, so much maybe, maybe, because- Matt skipped some <laughs> some exposition yeah. here. There was a big leap between Detroit and Pete is packing. Maybe all of this talk about growing it into an agency, maybe the, the partners decided let's invest some of our own, you know, more yeah. of our own money into that idea as opposed to just enough to satisfy Sunkist. But we don't know because we're making it up because we weren't told. Listen, most shows over explain and over uh-huh. overwrite these things and nothing's left to the imagination and that's why they suck. And you always say, oh, if they would just honor the audience's intelligence just a little bit, we would, Matt tends to honor the audience's intelligence probably too much. Well, definitely <laughs> in this episode, too much. I mean, I feel honored, but I'm confused. 
It's an honor. Just be honored. Yeah, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. I'm not that intelligent is my point. <laughs> right. None of us are. Uh, but that, um, but it's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting sort of plot twist or, or set of plot twists in the narrative that, that takes us here. Right. Cause it's not something you'd normally see. You might have one and here we have two or three, which is, is entertaining anyway, from the standpoint of, of this episode's narrative. Again, we, Sunkist was sort of vaguely on our radar the past couple of episodes since they went to California. But this idea of who's going to man the the L.A. office for Sterling Cooper and partners was nowhere on the radar. Right. And all of a sudden, it just is one of these zero to 60 kind of deals. Stan puts it out there. Then Don convinces Megan that he should or he, he decides he should go, convinces Megan that that's what they're going to do. Eden, the whole bit. Then Ted convinces Don that it's he that should go. So there's this constant passing of the of the plane ticket around. That's an incredible scene. Oh yeah. Ted going to Don hat in hand, if you will. Eating the crow. He says, "I want to go to California," and he says for a new start. Don sort of with that sneer of something stinks in this room is like, "Oh, with Peggy." Mhm. And he says, "No." And Don says, well, then why? And Ted looks him in the eye and says, you know why. You understand. He says, I don't understand. You do understand. And I thought that was a very powerful, um, listen, people aren't usually that honest in the show and, and men to men and all this kind of thing. It was very honest. Yeah. And, and listen, maybe he's another one that thinks that Peggy slept with Don, you know, along the way. Um, we don't know. I don't think he thinks much about that. That's old office history. Never know. Never know. No, because Matt wouldn't bother <laughs> to tell us. I'm, I'm filling it in, you know, <laughs> yeah. to the extent. I, yeah, I don't think. I, I don't see it that way, but I got gotcha. you. There's a lot going on there. First of all, we see Don in that scene uh, with the shakes from withdrawal. Do we do we see that? I know, I know we see it actually oh, in yeah. the pitch. I see his handshake when he's already had the drink. I don't remember seeing the shake. We see Don shaking. And then when there's a a shot of Don's hand is in the foreground, out of focus. Ted is the in focus near the door. We see the shaking also. Ted also says to him, I know there's a good man in there. And I do think that gets to Don. He said something about, I, I know, you know, I don't know what, what basically, I don't know what got up your ass about me. He doesn't say it quite that way. And then he says, but I know there's a good man in there. And I feel like that is also one of these season arcs, series, series arcs. It's like, that's what we're all grappling with. It's one of the things that makes Don feel okay about staying or accept staying. To not have to run. Will you have a drink before the meeting? My father was, you can't stop cold like that. But to me, the kicker of this scene is as he's leaving, because he sees Don shaking. Talk about amazing exposition, right? It was in one sort of broken <laughs> line, the best of Weiner's writing. The best of the it's very best. one line. He he alludes to his father without saying anything. But it's in the context of Don's drinking. So immediately we know that Ted's father drank. It's Genius writing, and it was genius acting. And it's nowhere in the fucking story. Nowhere. 
part of why that works is because those stories have been told more explicitly before. We don't need to tell it again. Wow, wow, somebody's father is an alcoholic. It's not uncommon to have people walking around our worlds who, who have that kind of internalized knowledge of how alcoholism works. And if you're in your 30s in 1960, and your father was in his 30s in the 1930s, there's a good fucking chance that they were all, you know, alcoholism was fucking everywhere. It's everywhere now. But it was, the odds of you growing up in an alcoholic's home were were quite high. I think the 30s is when AA was created. Quite possibly. I I believe I'd have to check my... my, uh... My history. The point is, it's been, you know, it's it's a generational thing. We've seen that with Don. We see it all over the place. So it's part of the larger Mad Men story. So yeah, we don't need to know Ted's story. We just need to know, here's another guy in advertising who's dealt with it in one way or another in his life. Was he beat up? Was he neglected? Was he, did his dad die young? You know, what, what, whatever. However it worked, it, it, it informs his good guy thing. Oh my God. Which isn't a guarantee, right? It could also inform a bad guy thing. But in this case, you can just see that. You can see that part of his commitment, I've got to be the good boy. Very different than Don's version of I've got to be the good boy. Yeah, yeah. And it's also in everyone. It's in all of us, right? There's a part of that that's that's struggling. So that conflict is central to the show and and, and certainly the season. So, man, yeah, that, that was kind of the line of the of the episode for me even though it wasn't central, you know, it really wasn't the the main attraction. It was wonderful. It, it, it's very special. So we'll get to the Hershey meeting, which is what he's referring to. But but my goodness, that's that's Sally leading to Don, leading to Ted and Peggy, <laughs> leading to Sudkiss. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the high points here are Don sees the opportunity to go to L.A. for himself as freedom. Ted sees it as his own type of freedom and everyone's struggling to get free. And Pete was gifted freedom. Which is how Trudy says it. That's what I mean by she gifts it to him. She doesn't have to. She doesn't have to be nice to him at this point. You know, there there has to be a, a word, you know, for the Greek dramas, for that character that always shows up, who somehow immediately goes to the heart of an issue or immediately speaks the truth without fear. That's Trudy. She is able to speak the truth to Pete or in her life or how she just communicates. She is unafraid and she's always done that. And it's so wonderful. And this is a perfect example of that. I'd invite you, but I think it's best you're alone right now. Don't be cruel. No, it's going to take you a moment to realize where you are. You're free. Free of her. You're free of them. You're free of everything. It's not the way I wanted it. No, you know that. One of the things that we've already spilled the uh, the beans about Pete going to L.A., the reason he's going is because <laughs> in the midst of all this rigmarole, he ends up botching a trip to Detroit. We will explain how that goes. But the precedent to that is this telegram and this news that Dorothy Campbell (laughs) is lost at sea. That's not a metaphor. She's lost at sea. It is. This was, this is hard to take. You mean believable? It's not that it's not believable, regardless of whether it's believable or not. It's that it, 
really doesn't fit in Mad Men. It, it, like, I can't make it, I can't make it make sense. Yeah, a guy getting running over, run over by a lawnmower and chopping his foot off makes more sense than some outlandish thing like this. And we and we saw the lawnmower, and we didn't even see this. This is the other thing of where <laughs> so much of this is off screen, and, and why? And then why why kill the, the the mother not dissimilarly? The you know like why are they both in these epic? It's <sighs> dissimilarly from the father. Now it does give us the scene with. With Bud. We'll forever be thankful for that. It is one of the great moments. It's fabulous. How expensive exactly? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Do we need to find our mom's killer? Maybe there's a way around this. Call's coming in. Gotta go. We'll get back to you. The whole thing. So funny. So funny. But it's a payoff for, for Pete having seemingly, you know, exercised his demons about Don's identity issues. Mm. That... He says to Bob, you know, I'm watching you, I'm out for you, but I'm, you know, we're going to have this little detente here. I'll use that word again. But not really a peaceful detente, just sort of like a, we're not going to kill each other over this. Just each other's mothers. But here's the thing. What do you think? I think Bob truly never believed what Pete was accusing Manolo of this whole time, because I think... They are lovers, or they they are occasional, whatever. I think Bob and Manolo. Bob and Manolo. And every time he says, trust me, he doesn't sleep with women. He means it while Manolo's out here doing all this. It seems to me that Bob is only interested in success at the job. I mean, look how quickly he takes Roger's advice when Roger sits him down and says, "Leave, leave Joan alone. We'll get back to it. He takes it. He's like, okay. Like, I don't think he's this level of schemer. I think Manolo is. The last exchange between Bob and Manolo that we saw was Bob talking in Spanish to Manolo about how horrible Pete is and how he wants to get him. That's the last we hear or see. So picking up from that, as it's unresolved, because presumably Pete did not call Manolo to call off the dogs on the revenge on Pete Campbell piece of it. So I look at it and say, no, Manolo is probably still out there thinking how to screw with this Campbell guy's life. So I think the, the scam of marry the old rich lady who we don't know isn't rich. um, And then when I find out she's not worth anything, get rid of, I think is all part of the scam on Pete. So you think Bob, is in on it and not surprised that he marries her and that he throws her overboard. I I take that as the 51 to 49 odds that that's the case. Coiners, let us know. No one's going to say anything because nobody follows this piece even that closely. There's no way. I disagree. I think people have opinions as to whether Bob is in on it or not. No, you're right. You're right. But this is such a sideshow to the, to what's going on. And it just doesn't, it does listen. I think the central thing is the Bob and Pete conflict and this does not pay it off very well. That's all. Sideshow is a great, is exactly right. The whole thing happens, like this massive thing happens and it's all in exposition and a joke and and it's just, I mean, his mother's dead. Like, it's very bizarre. Again, not worth the investment in the mystery of who Bob Benson is all season long. That This is my central issue with, with this whole bit. 
I'm still okay with it. Like, I think you could take some of this out of it and it, or, or make it or have done a better job writing it. But I still think that Bob, I think Bob is interesting. There's a better payoff than this is my point, whatever it is. Yeah. Well, maybe that's what happens in Detroit. They did not stick the landing. Now Detroit is a better ending. (laughs) Detroit at least is like neat and satisfying and funny as hell. Yeah, that's Bob capable of revenge. And it's appropriate revenge because what Pete is doing is cutting him out of the account. He had just said, Bob's not coming to dinner. He, he doesn't feel well. And then Bob turns around and hands him the keys to the car. We often use that word jujitsu for like, you know. I don't often use it. We all do. Jujitsu. <laughs> so international but the uh no no when 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 someone like you know outflanks another person or outsmarts another we use, we use that phrase but jujitsu is actually using someone's weight against them that's right using, I actually know using that. someone's flaws against them and bob knowing that pete can't drive a car and handing him the keys in front of the client in the showroom and having it go off spectacularly well the way that it did that's jujitsu <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna give give Pete, pardon the expression, enough rope to hang himself. And <laughs> Pete Pete was just stepped right in it. It reminded me of Red in the Face, where Don does that yeah. whole thing to get sure. Roger to puke. Except this was much more plausible. This one <laughs> right. was a was a bigger, in some ways, a bigger disaster. But 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 more but more plausible and less hacky to me. It just it just it just ran a lot better for sure, all the way around. This is Bob's brand of revenge, not sending his lover overseas to marry her and throw her overboard. I just don't think he seemed genuinely surprised by that. He buttoned right back up and got back to business. But uh, all right. I I apologize for belaboring my intense commitment to being right, as I do. It does give us the scene with Bud. There is a chemistry between that actor and Vinnie Carthizer. It's amazing. That is just, it's so unspoken. It's so not written on the page. They are brothers, even though they don't look a thing alike. Yeah. It is, it's just. It's perfect. Fucking great, those two. So I don't know. I, I can't remember if we get another season in season seven. I don't either, but, bud. With these guys, but the, it's the best. It's the best. So let's take a break. Let's. And we'll come back and we will talk about... There's nothing like the face of a kid eating a Hershey bar. Back in a sec. Quick interlude here on Roger Sterling. We get a little bit of this... Um, basically, it's a, it's a repeat of the bit when Roger's grandson was in and he did something Margaret didn't like and... She cuts him off. Now she's back. She's all golden. She's wonderful. She's the worst. She really is horrendous. She's horrendous. It happens again. I guess he's talking with Brooks. Brooks has some, I don't know, was it that uh, that truck refrigeration business that tr- they talked about? I don't think we know this time. I, I get the impression that Brooks just keeps failing at things. Could be. And Roger keeps sponsoring these failures. And this time he's hesitant at, at least. He, maybe he didn't say no, but he didn't say yes. And Margaret picks up on that right away. And me, me, me. Did he allude to having bankrolled 
anything for Brooks in the past? I don't remember. So um, yeah, I think that last thing that you just referred to was the last. Oh, thing. Yeah, he's okay. So this was post that. That's failed, and this is the next thing. Yeah, or whatever it is. I mean, we we're not getting details. It's just there's Brooks again asking for money again. Got it. And Margaret calls him out on it. Uh, you know, how do I get on the list of girls you give money to? And storms out. You're cut off again. And says you're not invited to Thanksgiving. Exactly. And he and Roger reacts actually very similarly to what he did when she blasted him on the phone or she was just where he was like, oh, come on. Like the same kind of like, I'll bring the jerky. Like he he acts like he's not getting it. And then it turns out she sticks to it at least for five minutes. What does this have to do with my performance? I'm asking the questions here. I see what you're up to. Look, I know that you're concerned with your career and Chevy's counting on you being a family man, but playing with Mrs. Harris's feelings is not the right way to go about it. You're right. Damn it, Bob. I better not be. You know, he sees Bob give this toy car to to Joan that's for Kevin, and that sets Roger off because, you know, he feels like Kevin is, well, it is his son, but it's, you know, more of a relationship of his than for Bob. Brings Bob into his office to to kick him in the nuts. Yeah, I, and which I, this is the scene I alluded to earlier. This is a wild scene of Roger pulling what Roger pulls, and like this is your performance review. You know, stay away from Mrs. Harris. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and you know, Bob's like, yeah, but we're we're just buddies, and and Roger doesn't believe that. But listen, Joan knows her gaze, and. <laughs> And it's yeah. a perfect, it's a perfect gay man, fruit fly relationship. It works for both of them. It's Fruit fly relationship. If I look at that up in Urban Dictionary, what will I find? You should find fruit fly. And what will it say? As what we used to call something else that rhymed with bag bag. <laughs> some, some call them camp followers. I may have been accused oh of being any of these God. women. We love our gay wow. men. Okay. I think it's its own orientation. Listen, I would never not have a gay best friend. I never did well when I didn't have one. A gay male best friend. <laughs> so you're the Joan in this scenario. I'm definitely not the Bob. I don't carve turkeys <laughs> and I don't wear frilly aprons. <laughs> okay. Th- those aren't euphemisms for something else. You mean actually car- carve turkeys and wear frilly it. aprons? We saw him I know, do it and we saw him wear it. They sound like they would be great euphemisms for something. I don't carve turkeys. All right. It's not out of the realm of possibility that Bob is working Joan as a as a means to getting a wife because that's a better look for an account person. Here's a woman who's already got a son. Maybe he doesn't even have to put out. It's not impossible that that's on his mind as a career mover. And these two are great together. I think... All that we know about Bob would point us to his not having a sincere bone in his body. He says, I'm gaining weight. She says, you can't tell. That is gay best friend energy. Yeah. And Gail had her hair done for you, he says to Roger. I think both can be true. I think this buddiness is... No, I, I could see the working her for some kind of beard cover you know is is probably more likely than the innocent uh gay best friend but doesn't mean he doesn't enjoy let me just tell you how gay men feel about joan i don't even need to say 
It is. Let me just. Like, why are we talking about this? Yeah, like, there's gay men, gay women, and everybody in between adore Christina Hendricks as Joan. So, and Christina Hendricks. So, you know, it's not hard for him to spend this time with, with her. And her roommate in college was gay. Yeah, Carol. Carol. Anyway, with Roger, first of all, we see the, we see the, uh, the film uh, cliche after Roger has read Bob the Riot Act in his office. What do we see Roger do? He snuffs out his cigarette, which usually means that he is about to kill Bob. <laughs> right? That is the ultimate, like, sometimes it's with a shoe. Sometimes it's in an ashtray like this. But when you see that cigarette snuffed out, you're thinking, here comes the whammy on somebody. But we don't see that. I found that interesting. It was very overt. It really led us to believe something awful was about to befall Bob. Name it chocolate. What, like Hershey's? Kenny, there's a reason I'm standing here. Hershey's chocolate sent an RFP out to the top 30 agencies. And all anyone seems to care about is that we're in the top 30. Because Hershey's isn't serious. They don't advertise. They never have. So looming over this entire fucking episode is the Hershey's pitch. We don't hear about it until this episode begins. They walk in and, you know, we don't know what part of Pennsylvania Don's from. We just hear he's from Pennsylvania. It's rural. Hershey's is like uh, about an hour or so west of Philadelphia. Um, So you can't call it suburban, uh, but it's pastoral for sure. And Pennsylvania goes on forever. But, yeah, beyond that. But right. people also would drive long distances to get places. So the fact that he has proximity to Hershey, even if it was many hours away, but it was probably more in the if, – if he's an hour west of Hershey, mm-hmm. that's rural enough. It's all rural enough, especially when Don grew up, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's right. So we don't know any of this. We don't know Don's association with the brand, his proximity – growing up to Hershey, Pennsylvania at all. But he does have a reaction the minute, you know, they linger on Don's face after everyone leaves. And he kind of has this stern look of her. Like it's not, he, he, the, the, there's something brewing there. We don't know what, and we don't know what to make of it. Certainly. We certainly don't see this coming. We just get this one flashback. Was there an opportunity throughout this season? You know, we always talk about, the flashbacks and why this flashback at this time. Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's less obvious. But the flashbacks always correlate within the episode. Every time. There's no ongoing flashback that's going on in Don's head that transcends a single episode. We see the connection between the proselytizer and the bar that Don ultimately fights. We don't see the fight, but we we're here He's about a it. preacher, it turns out. It's a two-preacher episode. And that's obviously connected to this flashback uh, when Mac f- throws the guy out. I guess he was proselytizing in the whorehouse, which is a uh, a joke of some kind. I don't know. Two, you know, Two preachers walk into a whorehouse. Right. I was thinking it would have been a neat idea for there to be a running theme of that as a flashback. Somehow seeing all of these religious elements or data points or something that Don that is running through Don's head throughout the season, let's say. And we don't always get a conclusion. We can't always tie it to something in the episode. But we are seeing this drumbeat of whether it's religiosity 
or the presence of religion or something that would actually make this payoff even stronger. Because all we see is the one preacher connected to the one preacher in the bar and Don getting nailed for it. And it just felt a little pat to me. And I'm a fan of the flashbacks, probably more than you are. I mean, here's where I can defend it. Not I'm just taking I'm just devil's advocate. And even though I'll get in trouble with the two preachers, to your point where this season is about deepening our knowledge of Don as a whole. This is a reminder of what we already know about Don and his relationship with crazy religion and Mm -hmm. the shit that can, can come out of his own mouth in a pitch about Jesus my defense of it and, and starting to buy it more, I think Matt relied more on our our wits than we have. <laughs> I know. It just seems like, hey, we want to say something profound about this character. Let's give him another flashback and see a different part of his growing up, right? It, it, it felt a little, a little too close to that for me in this one. The quote is, the only unpardonable sin is to believe that God cannot forgive you. And you can see where that leaves an impression with Dick Whitman that stays with him this whole time. Totally. First of all, I've never heard that quote before. Is that is that a thing that people say? Because that seems like a terrible message. <laughs> like, why is that unpardonable? Like, it's... Anyway, I don't understand Christianity sometimes. Well, it's sort of like, it's sort of like if you accept God into your life, like, again, a, 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 what do they call it? A, a born-again type of experience that's the idea born again is sort of is sort of being explicit about the fact that you can be redeemed that's probably tied to that somewhere two jews coming to you after the christmas season to what else do you want to know about the new testament (laughs) what i was going to say is that it also rhythmically reminds me of what anna draper Draper, said in the in the card reading right the only and i don't have the quote handy sorry i should have taken better notes because I thought Keeping it, you from being happy is the feeling is that you're feeling that you're alone. alone. But it just, it, it sings the same. It rhymes, even though it's a different message. 100%. 100%. And what do we see Don do after he hears that? He goes and baptizes himself in the Pacific Ocean. The religious overtones are connected there, 100%. And again, we just recently saw him drown. Different kind of baptism, but yeah. But turns out that was Dorothy Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> pushed or, pushed or jumped. Yeah. <laughs> All of this is is swirling around for Don. And again, he knows Hershey's is happening. Then he has the fight with the preacher. Then he goes into the drunk tank, all mixed in with this flashback of the preacher back growing up. By the time he gets into that room with Hershey's, he's kind of a wrecked soul. I thought about this a lot. Like, why did he do it? Like, why did he blow off California? Why did he blow up this meeting? And then and then when he leaves, Dawn, get my things. Happy Thanksgiving, sweetheart. It sure feels like he thinks he's not coming back, even though when he comes back and they and they give him the leave, he's shocked. But it does feel like nothing else is going to break me. I need to... I need I need to get broken. Like he woke up in jail and he and that didn't work because he's already drunk again. Right? He swore sobriety that morning yeah. and by this afternoon he's drinking again. It's like like taking that first taste of heroin or something going this'll do it. This'll bring me all the way the fuck this'll bring me to my knees. Like I feel like Don wants more of a bottom. 
Yeah, I think that's a good point. Which, of course, you can't guarantee. You can't guarantee a bottom won't be deaf. But he doesn't care. He's playing with that all season. Concurrently, he's edging towards the truth, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's and in true madman fashion, we can point to all these other head fakes, right? He was when Megan spoke the truth out on the balcony when he got back from California, she's like, This is not working, this is not us, we need to change it. And he says, You're right. Which we didn't expect, and then he just says it, yep. Exactly. So there's been this edging toward which you know, he, that was him agreeing with what came out of Megan's mouth. When he comes home from jail and she's like, Another night out, what's going on? He, he speaks the truth that this this has got to change. I, this is not what I want. Forget how he puts it, but he's he's honest about whether it's a real bottom or a false bottom or whatever. It is the truth. And that's his struggle. That's his struggle for the season. But that it's all coming to a head here, precipitated by Sally and the shame and what he knows he's done. Sally, I would like to point out, got suspended from school for drinking. She spends a night in jail and she has a false identity. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Perfect. Very yeah, good. That's little Sally Whitman right there. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder where any of those points came from. So to me, it do- this is sort of, like I said, the, the truth can set you free, but there's also consequences. What does it mean? It means the only thing keeping you from being happy is the belief that you are alone. What if that's true? Then you can change. People don't change. To your question of why did he do it, I think it was almost involuntary. Mm. I think it was Don hurtling toward his own moment of truth. I mean that in a literal sense. You know, he spins a nice tale. He starts out with a beautiful you know narrative of the boy and the father and the all that and it's kind of an anti the wheel pitch where he uses this you know romanticized version of his life that's falling apart at that time that he ignores and stifles and tells the hollywood version here he starts with the hollywood version and reverts to the gritty grimy you know stealing money out of john's pockets version of his life I think it's involuntary. I don't think he could have stopped himself. It wasn't planned. It wasn't calculated. I think he saw these guys representing Milton Hershey himself. Mm. And it was too much for him. And all of this, and I think he was, he, he look, when they, <clears throat> when they call him in for the partners meeting and uh, give him the Freddie Rumson treatment, he does not put up a fight. I think he is ready to accept the consequences for his truth telling. Now, one has nothing to do with the other. Him needing to tell unburden himself to the Hershey people was a personal, deeply, deeply personal act that I, like I said, I, I think was somewhat involuntary. He wasn't doing it as a partner of the firm or as a pitch man or as a creative guy. That meeting could have been taking place at an AA meeting or something. You know, that's how personal it was. It was his efforts at redemption in, what, in whatever way to, to, you know, between him and his God, if you will. Uh, agency be damned. A reminder, the, fir- the version one of the pitch was this, you know, I, 
I used to mow the lawn with my dad and then he'd buy me a Hershey bar. Yeah. yeah. And they, and they, and the men were like, boy, lucky boy to have that dad. And I think that was part of what, what sent him over. And then he, yeah, them swallow, them swallowing it. Yeah. It was too much for him to take. And then he does version, version two, which is I was born in a whorehouse and raised, I mean, he really gets explicit and ties it into that Hershey bar. And he talks about, I loved this eating the Hershey bar by himself with great ceremony. That was so gettable. That was so relatable. You know, I, I had my M&M sorting rituals. Like people, kids have relationships with candy. So yeah. Charlie, Charlie, uh, I can't think of his last name and the chocolate factory kid. Charlie Bucket. Charlie Bucket. Thank you. He had his, you know, everybody had their rituals and their, and their ceremony. For sure. For sure. And then you're like, oh, the Hershey bar really did mean that to him. Right. He's not overdoing it here either. But in the name of what you're talking about, truth, the other aspect of it, and this horse ties to the ending, he's spent all these years trying to be Don Draper. And now he's like, just bring in a little Dick Whitman. Like, why can't I be Dick Whitman now? And let's see how that goes. And it didn't go well. <laughs> right, right. And I'll... I'll split, I'll split one hair with something that you said, though, um, to make a point, which is I don't see it as redemption. He's truth-telling. He's, he's hurtling toward the truth. He is unstoppable at this moment toward telling the truth. Redemption comes later, but I don't think he's trying to right a wrong or, or, or make up for any. He's simply unburdening himself. Mm. That's it. He has to – he's compelled – to tell these people this story, okay, and that's and that's that's the power of it. It's not for another purpose. As that point, that is a great example of what happens when a person dumps the truth on someone rather than actually seeks a conversation or a redemption. You just dump, and that's the result you get. <laughs> Yeah, because he's seven years old. He's still that. He's still he's still a child. So you know, he hasn't sorted through anything. He is. That's why it's involuntary. He is hurtling uncontrollably toward, yes, a complete dumping his. You know, if it was a woman with a big purse, uh, yeah, on your head, on everybody's laps. Totally. Here, deal with this. This is all my shit. Nobody wanted this. Yeah. There it is. Goodbye. Yeah. Right, sir. We're <laughs> so. What are your rates? You know, like what are they gonna? You know, what are they gonna say? Sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> Truly. That's my that's my take on on the whole scene. He walks out of the office. He goes back to his loving wife who has quit her soap opera. And he says, honey, I got some news. (laughs) We're not going to California. JK. And she's like, fuck the agency. That's a quote. Mm -hmm. Your kids are screwed. You know, you and your wife and your screwed up kids. Because she had to witness the phone call from Betty about Sally and him, you know, calling her Birdie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she immediately walks back to think about the kids. She does. She's like, I love them to death. But she's not wrong. I mean, she's she's not wrong. Megan, Megan is in the moment and solid gold and face value every Every time. time, even here, especially here. You know, Don's a seven-year-old that can't help but when to tell the truth and when to lie and when to get it all straight. She is truthful and honest at all times because that's who she is. We now can say that. Yeah. After all the mystery and all the hoo-ha, we know who Megan is and this is who she is. And she says to him, you know, 
why are we fighting for this? We don't have a child together. Maybe it's time to cut these ties. She didn't say all that, but that's all there. And it's all she meant. Yeah. And she walks out. Now, we don't know if she's walked out for a walk or if she's walked out to California. Well, we don't know. She's going to California one way or another at this point in time. There's 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 nothing to suggest that she's going to stay in New York with Don. I will also say that by coastal Somebody should have Googled the origins of that because it does not go back to 1968 and Don used it. Is that right? Yeah. So now we've got this this partners meeting, 9 a.m. on Thanksgiving. Great use of Burt Cooper here. Great use of Burt. I was going to say, it's uh, it's Cutler that drives, really. Sure. Cutler that drives it. But Cooper is sitting there in in the, the... it's like a hissing snake of power <laughs> in in that seat, you know, reclined, and everything out of his mouth is just like fisha. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's great. Look, he knows Don. We might agree. I know a thing, a thing or two about you. Yeah, that's that's writing through all this, but he's not obviously referencing that. But what he is doing is kind of. There's a phrase sometimes if there's like a hothead or a particular personality on a sports team, like a basketball team or a football team. I've heard different coaches use it in different ways, but it's like he's like an old boiler in your, you know, for your furnace. He can keep your entire house warm or he can explode. Mm-hmm. You just don't know what you're going to get sometimes. And that part of being the the engine of the house, you know, in that way is all this talent that you get when he's keeping your house warm. And it's, sometimes it's worth the risk of what's going to happen. But, you know, there are moments over the course of the relationship that he's going to blow things up. And I think Bert recognizes that this is the talented team member who is is now outstayed his welcome. And they, they Freddie Rumson him out for yeah. however long. And we've already got an agency in place. We've got heads and, you know, we've got we've got work. Co- we've got it covered. We can get by without you. And it is Joan who says Ted's already confident that Peggy can be in charge of things here with Ted supervising. Bingo. So it's Joan that delivers that. And, you know, Joan, there's that moment. There's that. Does Joan look away at one point? There's just that moment where, you know, Joan is Joan is not his secret friend in this room. This is this is a this is a this is a partner's decision. But that's part of the craft of the season that we've seen Joan. This isn't this isn't like, oh, now Joan's turning on Don. No, this has all been coming. This the, the tracks for this were laid throughout the season. If just once you would use the word we. Right? Yeah. You know, we're all you know, we're all waiting for what you're gonna tell us what to do with our lives. You know, like all of this all of this is built up and 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 it's like don't get sucked in just because they had a, a fun drink together for the Jaguar pitch. No, it's it it's all there. So it's, you know, the show is so well-crafted and so subtle. These are things that I did not pick up at all, you know, ever until watching it here. And you can have fondness and history with somebody and years of of subtle flirtation and and still see them for who they are and make the right decision. It's the same dynamic as Bert. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's like when when our relationship is business first, right? That's that's for that's for everybody. Speaking of Joan, I wanted to just throw one thing in about the the Roger and the, the the Thanksgiving meal earlier in the episode when Carolyn is is talking to Joan about Roger, 
He's forlorn. He's forlorn. And she she does that amazing description of what Thanksgiving at her house is going to be. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Spastic. (laughs) Ralph Jr. Oh, my God. But Joan says uh, in the in the Roger getting squeezed by Margaret. Right. He's been bankrolling this this whole thing. And Joan Mm -hmm. says, trust me, he loves it. And she sounds just like Joan in Babylon in the hotel room. Yeah. You know, the sneaking around is the best part. But what actually it reveals is Joan has effectively distanced herself from Roger to the point where she's wrong about that. Trust Mm -hmm. me, he loves it. Is he is forlorn and she missed that. I agree. That's a really great point. And and as she she says at the end, you're in Kevin's life, not mine. Not mine. No, those are those are those are really great things to tie together. But she does it out of respect for Roger. It's more for Roger than for Kevin. Kevin doesn't need him. It's it's a it's her it's she's giving something back to Roger. Yes, I think I think there's part of her, and she may have had a line of this to this effect somewhere a few episodes ago about whether Kevin knows it or not. This is his father. So there's there's that that it is a little bit for Kevin. Yeah. Fair enough. There's an inkling of that. And I think it's also out of respect for Bob, <laughs> right. to be honest. It's like, look, you know, if we're going to do this, then you everyone's got another rules. Yeah. You don't have to be his daddy. We got we got that plenty. We got plenty of those. <laughs> yeah. 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 Did they name it Hershey's because of the chocolate or is the chocolate named after the city? There was a man named Hershey. He made enough chocolate to build a town. Why are we stopping? This is a bad neighborhood. Come on. The dominoes were beautifully laid. We have Sally is up at school and needs to be picked up. We're, we were picking up the boys. Now Megan is not around. And Don's thinking about Hershey. And he's thinking about the house. And in the flashback, they did that incredible hero shot of the house. So that right. you had it. Yeah. You had it. Now, I can't help but think that a house like that could have gone completely the other way. Been restored been this gorgeous fucking mansion, the tenements behind it gone. By 2022, that's probably the case. Yeah, not by 1968. You are correct. Strike all that. So, (laughs) but so that's the whole setup. And God knows what the car ride was like with Sally being how she's been Mm -hmm. in the back with the two little boys up, the baby, (laughs) two little boys up front with no seatbelts as we all were. As, As, yeah. And... And you don't know. You don't know until that last moment. And I just have to tell you. So he brings them. This is where I grew up. We're looking at the house. Don gives Sally that look. Sally gives Don that look. Don the hobo in the hat. Don the hobo in the hat. We've all seen this scene. We all know this scene. Mm. I can't believe how it affected me. Me too. Oh, my God. I I know. Oh, my God. I mean, part of it is Kiernan without a word, delivering so much. Yeah. It was stunning. And then you got that, the little black boy on the porch with his popsicle. So he's got something sweet, but also... And it's a client. You know, he could have a meeting right there. Exactly. Yeah. Another call back to another client. <laughs> oh my God, it just packed such a punch. I, I, I didn't think I could feel anything good for Don 
by the by the time we got here this this no. in this viewing i was just like no. sick of his shit didn't care and then whatever that was man it's not only uh hurtling toward the truth he's driving out to go see the truth <laughs> he is unstoppable again involuntarily just needing now compulsively to be truthful in his life which of course for for six full seasons he had not we had not seen him be um even when with betty when she finds out about the the don draper and and dick whitman you know he gives her the version of the story that makes sense for the time right there's a lot of varnished truth <laughs> uh in the past you know along the way for don that we've seen not the unvarnished kind and between the Hershey's pitch and now this, you instantly get in five minutes of screen time a lot of unvarnished truth. In defense, um, from Don's perspective, his greatest fear is that people will leave him when they find out. And again, from his perspective, it's a distorted one. Betty found out and threw him out. The office found out and threw him out. Yep. Megan's the only one who's who didn't. That's right. So it's it's a big risk for him. And who knows what version of the truth she knows? We don't know that either. Right. Right. She knows the version he gave her sometime. We can assume it's some hybrid of of the truth and <laughs> not quite. He didn't drive her out to Hershey, Pennsylvania or wherever yeah. for the, the house viewing. Or as I call it. Jojo Draper, your life is calling because this is basically I never saw it. The, the Richard Pryor story. <laughs> I never saw it. I never saw it. Richard Pryor grew up in a whorehouse. Oh, that's right. I did know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And made a movie about it and the whole bit. So we did it. We did it. We did it. All right. Let's take one more Season break. Season six. We will come back with quotes and one more little nod back to the pilot. Hey there. Do I sound like I just had my tooth pulled? You know why? I did. But I will be up and running by Saturday, the 14th, this very Saturday, for our live, they, you know, are sort of live, they joined it, and you can still join us by, I really am talking to you with a mouthful of cotton, by going over to patreon.com slash theycoinditpod. It's a great way to support the show, and it will get you an invitation. So. Come on over. What's your quote, Dan? As soon as I heard it, I knew it would be my quote. Bud says, she's in the water with father. (laughs) (laughs) And there is so much funny about that line and inappropriate about that line. How he delivers it, of course, is perfect. The fact that they still call him father, capital F, father, is hilarious. And she's in the water with father. Like, the water is where you want your dead people? Like, like, <laughs> like, is that some sort of peaceful thing? He died in a fiery crash. She was pushed, you know, like, what the fuck? <laughs> we really don't want to have to finish this discussion. So let's just make ourselves feel best we can about this. She's in the water with father. Hilarious. Love Bud. Yeah, Bud's great. Uh Betty calls Don, as we've mentioned, and it was the most I have felt for Betty since 
the early days of Betty when I did feel for her in that first season. She's really upset and she really feels terrible and she's tried everything and she's like, the fact is Sally has come from a broken home. Like that is undeniable and she's maybe regretting her divorce because she's somebody who believes in marriage. The quote is, the good is not beating the bad. Mm. And it just... It's like the universal cry. Yeah, like, uh, listen, I'm not a parent, but I'm a person. And we, like, we've all felt that. Like, it's, it's, just, it was just really beautiful. It's, I just thought it was a great scene. I just thought she was terrific and calling back It was to a her great phone call. And, yeah. yeah. And again, so much better that relationship since they slept together. Yeah. Yeah. Here's my throwback to season one. Final, pilot, final, in case you missed it. In the bar where Don goes to get drunk. The song that is playing is Band of Gold, which is the scene one episode. It is one. the opening yeah. of Mad Men. That's right. And that that is not subtle, but you but you couldn't miss it. How not far we've come. Yeah. <laughs> right. For real. So that's in care of. That's season six. We did it. The whole thing. All the way through. Except for still chance to come to our They Joined It, which we are recording on the 14th, which is like in a minute. But, you know, that's through our Patreon. Patreon.com slash They Coined It Pod. This has been amazing. We will see you soon. See you there. If you would like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash theycoinedpod for bonus content and extras. For cool swag, visit etsy.com slash shop slash theycoineditstore. Neat looking shirts, hoodies, and tchotchkes. Another way to support us is to leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts. Email us questions at theycoinedpod.com, Twitter and Instagram at TCI Pod. They Coined It is produced and edited by Roberta Lipp. Our logo and merch graphics are by Albert Stern of Stickrest Arts. Our theme is from Adam Tilford. Thanks again for listening. I'm Dan Jasper. See you next time.